Okay. Good. So let's let's jump into it. So we had two very different or three rather very different texts that we were looking at. So we're looking at Harold Clerman's On Directing, um, which I have the the paper copy right here. Uh, then we okay. Then we looked at our toes. We looked at our toes uh, or a, a documentary on our toe, as well as two of his his productions, um, which are which should be painful. You know, he calls it theater of cruelty for a reason. And we also looked at uh, La Mama Theater, uh, Serban's production of, or scenes rather, of Serban's production from um, Medea and Electra. So, or Medea and Antigone, excuse me. Um, and so let's go into this a little bit. And let's start with Clerman, because I think he's the, the most accessible. And this was in a PDF form. Um, so, the first question I have for the group here is, what is Clerman's general argument? Or worldview? We might call it a worldview instead of an argument. And, and worldview pertaining to the theater, not as, you know, political worldview. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That it's, it's essentially a collaborative process, right? That it's, um, that like an organism, the the whole can only function if all of the the members are working together. But to say that the, the what he says in in I think page two is that the heart of the organism isn't located anywhere. One would think this is a bad metaphor because the heart would be located in the heart. But the, the heart of the theater is not located in any one particular uh, a particular job that it, it's sort of dispersed through the whole thing. Um, this doesn't seem particularly remarkable, right? <laughs> that when you're looking at a theater production, um, everybody is sort of important to the theater production. However, when we, when we take a look at um, the role of the playwright, Yes. When we take a look at the role of the playwright as it's discussed in this work, what is the playwright uh, in this frame of reference? So if we go to page page four, um, we have a, a quote here from Granville Barker on the, the role of the playwright. I think what what he's saying is that the playwright is one of several collaborators, just as the actor is, just as the director is, just as the designers are. Right. So it isn't that the playwright is the person who brings everyone together, just as the director isn't the person who brings everyone together, but the playwright is uh, one element in this collaboration. Hence our, our title here, that you know, the director's theater. Uh, for the for this first chapter, right? So it's it's not necessarily the playwright's theater, and so when thinking about theater in the way that Clerman thinks about theater, we're we're no longer discussing um, necessarily the just the intricacies that the playwright finds important, but the playwright is one person who contributes to the production. 
So let's talk about then the um, what it means to what what does the term director's theater mean? All right, so this first chapter is called doo -doo -doo, the director's theater. Uh, if everybody's just kind of a collaborator, what does it mean? Why would he call this first chapter the director's theater? Okay. All right. Where does he say that? <laughs> okay. So y your argument here is that what Clerman is saying is that um, that once all great actors are gone, we now need a director's theater. Okay. So it's, it's not quite, I don't think he's saying that, you know, um, that we've now reached the error, the, the end of acting, right? Uh, it's not the end of history, but the end of acting and, and everything has to be kind of picked up by directors. I don't, I don't think he's quite saying that, or he's entitling his chapter, what he titles it for that reason. Um, what might be, uh, let's, let's keep exploring. What might be another reason why this is titled the director's theater. Maybe I'll draw, let's draw uh, attention to some quote. So if we go to page 11, to the very bottom of page 11, um, the second to last sentence on that page, and I'm not going to say the full sentence, but the end of the sentence, I should like to make it axiomatic that the finer an acting company is, the greater the need for a masterly director. Then the last sentence, this may ensure that what is presented are plays rather than exhibitions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That the, the director is in a sort of way, both authoring and not authoring the play, right? The, the um, they are sort of, taking the credit for a lot of what's happening. And he actually jokes about that, right? Like an actor makes a, a great decision and the director is later complimented and, and should accept the compliment, Clerman says. Um, but the director is also not the author in the sense that the author of a book typically has it. It all comes from that person, that writer. In this case, the director is sort of also the outside assistance for for the actors right and the director ends up being the kind of the creative manager of what's happening and what is interesting about about that in terms of the history of directing and we get a short short survey of the history of, of theatrical directing is that it isn't particularly old I mean, this is a kind of mid-19th century thing that came about. And Clerman, um, he is directing, I'm going to say in the 1940s. I'm trying to look here to see when the first edition of this book was published, um, which would be towards the, the end of his career. Yeah, the first edition of this was 1972. 
so his career was occurring, you know, in the, the 1930s and 1940s. Um, and so what we learn here is that directing, as we can think of it, is a pretty recent phenomenon. It, it's, you know, um, most of the history of theater. We're going to be in this class covering who something like 2,500 years of, of theater history, 2,400 years of theater history. And the idea of a director's theater, of a director, is possibly ooh, 100, 160, 170 years old. So it's, it's a fairly recent concept. And with that in mind, and we could also extend this to, to film, also to cinema, um, what do you think the director does for these works, or for theater, or for movies? But it, I, yeah, I think that's right, though. I think that, the, you know, this idea of the director as bringing clarity, it's, it's the director's vision that ends up getting staged, right? And so when we think of like a, you think of a movie, like, a, like Steven Spielberg, right? Everybody knows or has seen a Steven Spielberg movie. Actually, has anybody not seen a Steven Spielberg movie? Okay, so at least, at least everybody's seen that. Um, you can recognize that when you're looking at the movie, oftentimes it's it's kind of articulated that what he is doing with this movie or what his idea was for this film, right? That, you know, that um, how he stages E.T. or, or brings that to life. Um, his decision to not show the shark till the end in Jaws. But there's this idea of a, a unity of vision in in the director the director is is kind of the the locus of unity and this is something that probably didn't exist before um or at least that responsibility as we reread from in clerman's chapter was kind of passed off to different people and so when we move from a, a playwright's a playwright's theater to a director's theater what changes do you think that might imply? Right, if we think of Greek theater as as a you know a playwright's theater, or what we're doing with Greek theater anyway, the way we were reading it and discussing it, if we think of that as a playwright's theater, what would be a director's theaters a director's approach to make it a director's theaters project? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's it's about that kind of production, the the different you know, sensory elements. Um, good. And also about kind of bold concepts too, would be another thing. Um, Clerman generally in his, in his plays worked in kind of a realist mode. So his, his stuff was designed to look like life itself. Uh, and he was part of that that movement, the kind of the, the method movement, if anybody knows what that is, it's, it was a, it was a kind of post Stanislavski acting movement where people tried to get really in touch with their emotions and, and put reality on stage. And a lot of directors in this movement, uh, Ella Kazan is, is another famous one who directed a lot of the Tennessee Williams plays, especially Streetcar Named Desire. Um, they were deeply invested in finding 
the kind of the the realism of the performers and of the performances. And while things like Streetcar also had um, more poetic or expressionistic elements in it, the idea was that it would be grounded in this kind of uh, performance realism. Um, and, and Clerman is a part of that tradition, certainly. So let's then think about that. Think about vision and realism and move into some of the stuff that we watched for today. And then we had looked at the La Mama Theater's production of of those plays, as well as to um, Artaud's plays, uh, if you even want to call them that. So let's start with, with uh, La Mama Theater. I think that's maybe a, a little easier, possibly. Uh, what are, but how about this? What is your general response to that? We only saw clips of it, you know, about a half hour. But what was the response to to how they elected to to put on that production? Okay. N not a fan, uh, but it was, you, you did say loud and scary. Which, yeah, which I, I agree. It was, yeah, it was certainly, certainly very loud um, and very aggressive, I think. What else did people, how else did people respond to it? <laughs> okay so there's unrealistic motion unrealistic sound um okay and, and bethany agrees can everybody see the chat just i i have no idea but okay okay so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna recite all the chats out loud then um but anyway yeah so it's it's the the thing that both Jude, Christina, and Bethany are picking up on is this idea that it's it's definitely there's no concern for realism, and this is not the type of theater that Clerman would be doing. At least the Clerman I know. How would so? Another question before I before we connect it to Clerman though, what was the the idea behind using Greek, right? Because both of these were, were done in Greek. So what was the, what was the reasoning we saw at the beginning of the, the half hour for, for putting the play in Greek and partially Latin? Yeah, it's it's harsher exactly. Is that it's harsher, and also the the language being alien would 
uh, make it even more harsh, right? Because you're you're hearing harsh words that you can't even comprehend. So it almost becomes like this this percussive sound. Um, good. Any other comments on that? Okay. So how could we connect this to Clerman's idea of of the director and the director as a person with a vision? Okay. Great observation. It's, it's uh, it, if Clerman's idea was to make the production accessible, this is <laughs> the choices here made the, the particular productions, the, the particular La Mama productions less accessible. Sure. Anything else? Any other kind of connections we can draw? So let's think in terms of vision and a director's vision. Did the director, Serbin, Andre Serbin, would you say he had a, um, a vision for his productions that would be recognizable from Clerman's work? That was an awkwardly phrased question. Would uh, Clerman, would the way Clerman talks about vision be applicable to what Serbin Sir produced. Okay, so yeah, so you see this as um, as restoring what the playwright wanted, what Euripides wanted. Okay, okay, that's interesting because that's not exactly the Clerman line on vision, right? You know, the playwright is not God in in Clerman's director's theater. He, the playwright's a collaborator. So you, you, I think it seems like what you're reading is that it's it's kind of not quite a director's theater approach that Serbin took. Okay. All right. Um, okay, that's interesting. Good. Any other any other kind of responses? So what I would say is that what you what a lot of you had pointed out about the the harshness of it and the the scariness of it. I know Jude, you were the first to reflect on that. Um, that I would say reveals a bit of the director's vision of of Andre Serbin's vision in that work, and I think it is very similar to, if not the same thing, as the director's theater or the director's vision um, that Clerman's talking about. And what makes Clerman and the, the genealogy of directors that he's working with, that he recounts in that chapter, what makes them so helpful and applicable for future productions is that thinking of 
theater as a you know this is kind of the the, the thing in this class think of theater as a three-dimensional thing that can be iterated and changed with each iteration and that each iteration is shaped by the particular creative vision of a director is really what makes theater really compelling and really interesting and you can insist upon a realistic format right we could look at oedipus rex and yes there's a chorus and a, you know a, a choral leader and, and all this type of thing but uh, all these all these uh, let's say non-realistic elements but you could still make a realistic version of oedipus rex actually um the the italian director who i linked you guys to which wasn't required watching but it's you know it's there um he made a realistic version of oedipus rex and you just turn the chorus into one person or different people Oedipus interacts with, you know, how, however you do it, you can certainly make it hyper-realistic. That's, that's one version. Take the masks away. Or you can have the vision that they had at La Mama Theater where you make it harsh, you make it scary. That what, what Euripides and Medea is, is an assault on the senses. And it may be that... Um, that the reason we have this is, uh, excuse me, Medea and, and Bacchae, Euripides is the writer, it's not, not the play. Um, and the reason for this is that those plays are particularly harsh. They are about, um, you know, Medea is about a woman who kills her children. Uh, and if you want to, want to convey, um, the, the, the kind of the fierceness of this or the danger of this maybe having this kind of alien language shouted at you creates that that kind of sense of of unease and when approaching your directing projects and and approaching these these different productions we see thinking of the just the playwright the script we get and the the analysis we do the with with these various scripts as one element in the the collaboration is important but it's also important to see the the director which is going to be you guys when you do your directing project as being the person with the vision to bring this stuff to life is important as well and you could have an, an ultra realistic vision um like the, the italian director you can have an experimental vision like like Serban, um, you can do what the the Guthrie Theater did, and I also linked to you guys the uh, the short YouTube clips from the Tyrone Guthrie Theater, which tried to do a, an English language version, but a, a sort of um, true to Greek form staging of Oedipus Rex. You could do something like that as well. However, when good directors approach material, they still have a vision. They have an articulated reason why their bold production has to be the way it is. For Serban and La Mama, it isn't, um, I just want to scare Jude, right? You know, that's, that's not their entire vision. What it is, is this is frightening material the content of this material matches the the aggressive assault on the senses that i want to take there's meaning in the realization i have and 
very often meaning is made in these kind of bold moves that theater takes. And so that's just some some filter, some way of thinking of these plays and thinking of these plays, not not just in the abstract, but how they apply to your directing project when we get to that. Right? And this would be a great transition to go into our toe. Um, any questions about about this portion of the class? Okay, great. Um, excellent. So let's go into Arto, who is super weird. Um, and I love him. He His concept of the theater, Theater of Cruelty, was a book he wrote. Um, he staged very little in his life. If you want to see Arto, see what he looked like and how he performed, he's in a silent film from the 1920s called The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is a great movie, besides the fact that Arto's in it. But if you just want to see what this guy looks like and, and how he actually acted, um, you, you could look up that film. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But um, anyway, so responses to what we saw in, in that documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it seems to be important for the, the productions that we saw of Artos, right? It's um they're they're non real spaces. We might even say magical spaces, but they are not they are not pleasant spaces to be in. Great. Any other responses? Okay. When I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, looks like he had two torsos. Yeah, there's uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I'm glad you. I'm glad you're entertained. I, I I think the relative shortness of these plays are really helpful. I think if this was like a two hour, if one of these plays were, were two hours long, um, you know, God help us. But yeah, it looks like he had two torsos. Um, there's a lot of drawing from mime as you're picking up from dance also a, a lot of this is more dance like than acting um but what what would you imagine it would feel like to be in the theater watching those two productions Well, ask why, uh, Christina, did you not enjoy it? Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, first... First off, we could say that, that, you know, there's no narrative here. Um, and there or there's very, even very little text. Um, and so the, the idea of a, a kind of a plot or plotted, uh, the idea of a story that we're going to the theater to experience a story or follow a story, that's done with. That's suspended here. Arto called this the theater of cruelty. Why do you think that title is important or relevant? Mm 
Okay. Well, I, I think... Well, I'll, I'll let see if anybody else's response, and then I'll offer my own. There's, there's a degree of intensity that's uncomfortable. Okay, I think that's true. Yeah, it, it's... Artaud's idea with, with theater of cruelty is much kind of like the, the Serban production. It, it's an assault on the senses. It takes it strips away narrative so you don't have anything to hang on to and he does things that are very uncomfortable like you have um you know the, the man wearing the kind of the costume with the large breasts and it, it you know so it's kind of this overt display of sexuality but it's also removed from the kind of sexuality of it um it, it the people seem uncomfortable on stage they're not moving naturally there is a a purposeful division between the everyday real world of our experiences and this space of the stage. And the space of the stage is treated in the way ritual is treated, right? So his idea of, of theater is that... Um, that there's these kind of the, the the rituals that we might associate with religion or with um, maybe kind of cultures outside our own. Uh, Arto was inspired by Balinese theater, which we're going to come to later in the semester. Is is that this kind of ritual space is a space outside of the real world or, or realistic experience, and that it in every way in every element creates or is always attempting to create a divide between you and it so that its relationship to the audience is um, one of assault it's not a place to be comfortable and enjoy a plot it's a place to be to be shocked right and and arto his life was was that it was not a a comfortable life it was a life um it was a life where he was literally shocked back into reality or shocked out of reality depending on how you want to you want to read that now Artaud saw his theater and so the ritual element of his theater and you can think of the ritual element as being embodied in the repetition right we saw repetition of movement we saw definitely a repetition of words you could think of any kind of religious ritual as in part um apart being about cycles, right? Repeating words, um, call and response. Uh, some, you know, somebody says something and then an audience responds in kind. Those elements are, are brought into the theater and again, kind of divorce 
the the space of the theater from the reality of the world but there is no plot there is no narrative however how can we think of the theater of Artaud, the theater of cruelty in relationship to the works we've looked at so far um really the work right uh, uh, greek theater how could we think of those connections Okay. Yeah, there is, um, I, I guess both of them are really not for profit. The, the Greek theater is, is entirely a cost, but it's for the, the religious and civic elements of, of Greek society. Uh, you know, religion and politics are, are sort of joined in basically in every culture until the 18th century. So that that's what it, what's happening there. Um, and then you're also saying that Artaud's theater is anti-capitalist in the sense that, you know, he's not interested in organizing a um, in organizing a kind of a production that can churn out a profitable product in, in four to six weeks of rehearsal. But something that is uh, that is disorganized so as to. Um, so as to not allow the production itself to be comfortably sublimated into a kind of larger commercial system. Okay, I, I think that's that's a good connection, sure. Any other connections we could see? Well, let's take the last five minutes here and think in terms of um, of how you can use the the Artaud stuff, the Artaud documentary, to to help you think about theater and also to help you make your director's project, right? Your your you know your your project here. Um, what we see with Artaud is something that appears not to be able to to offer narrative. Right. It, it seems as if Artaud's work by its nature is ritualized. You, you, you know, you can't have a plot and it's sort of self-contained. You need his kind of crazy repetitious plays in order to get at his theater of cruelty style. However, I think what we saw with, with Andre Serbin is that elements of Artaud definitely influenced him and definitely influenced um, some kind of uh, earlier works of La Mama theater, which it, think is still going on today um la mama not not Artaud. and 
what when we think of vision, kind of a bold vision that Harold Clerman advises, using the kind of theater of cruelty idea is definitely applicable to, to one of these plays that you might want to work with. And so this idea of an assault upon the audience, creating a ritualized space that's uh, kind of based upon repetition, kind of unbridled creativity, um, alien from the audience, doesn't just have to be one of Artaud's, you know, short pieces. It can be used in a way for, for Oedipus Rex, or maybe for something else. Um, and in so doing, bring out an element of the play that we might not have expected. I think, Christina, you mentioned how Serban's version of the plays made you think that possibly that was what Euripides originally intended with with Medea. Um, and, yep, I mean, that that's a really interesting response. It's not something I thought of as at all. But when we, when Andre Serban did something so alien and so different from what other people have been doing with with Greek theater, what ended up happening for you seemed to be that must be what the original was more like. That must bring us back to some kind of um, true form or, or true message that the play had. And I think taking the kind of, you know, the avant-garde experimental stuff of Artaud, which can be a little insufferable. I mean, I, I will admit there might have been some fast-forwarding going on when I was watching uh, th these two Arto plays. Um, but taking that concept, that vision, and applying it to plays that, you know, might appear to be simply realistic or um, that are entirely captured on the page, that are entirely captured in words, is something you should have the freedom or feel the freedom to to scrap, to do something new, to do something Artaud-like with these works. Okay, and we have two minutes left for Roman theater, which makes me think we're going to just push all Roman theater off to um, to Friday, which is fine because I, I don't I don't know how much uh, how much we need to talk about the braggart soldier. But any last thoughts before we we go for today? Okay. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's something you do, um, at the by the end of the week for each class, right? So we're gonna do, you know, these well, these two classes on, you know, Roman theater and then this stuff, like the, the Arto play and whatever. Um, by the end of the week, you would have uh, 250 words response to, you know, the, the kind of stuff we did, uh, the, the stuff we, we had prepared for class, um, and then email it to me. And anything you want. It's really freedom, anything you want. Just, um, just have, you have to do 10 of these responses. Have each response be on a different topic, right? So you're not doing four responses to Oedipus. Um, and the idea is just to, be, to force you to kind of write out your thoughts, since 
we can't really do traditional um, traditional class participation. I, I just don't think I don't think treating the Zoom or whatever the hell we're in Google Meet as class participation is really fair. I think a lot of people are not going to be able to get a chance to respond or feel comfortable. So in place of in place of that, we'll be doing um, just these responses so that you're writing something, writing your thoughts on paper about about 10 of the classes we did. Yes. Yeah. As long as you get you get 10 done, the idea is to get them into me um, the Sunday before the, the, the last day of the week. Right. So that it's fine if you have. I know there's some confusion about this. So if you have one done last week, you can send it to me. That That's OK for for the beginning here. But the idea is I don't really want like eight of them coming in at once. It's going to be kind of infuriating. So get get it to me by the Sunday after after class. Um, so right, like so it would be Sunday of this week. It would be. Uh, it would be on the braggart soldier on Arto, on clerman you know actually i think clerman was last week but whatever it's fine if you write on clerman this week they're, they're not hard fast things as long as you do them you get full credit the idea of only assigning 10 is that you can definitely take weeks off i, I want people to be able to take weeks off and um you know I, I would advise you take weeks off when other things are due but that that's entirely up to you um you you Pick one, I think, object to, to focus on. So be it a video, a reading, um, a theory, maybe. You can then extend that to cover the, the entire week or past weeks. But let's say you're doing it on this, on class this week. Let's say write on predominantly Arto. This is just an example. So if you're writing predominantly on Arto, but you want to talk about Arto and Oedipus Rex, you can do that. But the idea is you're sort of focusing our, on, on Arto. Uh, yeah, that, that's good. Just Can you just put weekly response? That would be... Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So um, I'm going to stay in this room for um, a few minutes, just for kind of office hours to meet with some people. Uh, if people want to meet, just stay in with me. If not, you are free to go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.